Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you are listening to the One Stop Pod for all your Albion necessities, from a packet of cheesy grins to a bottle of Celebration Ale. And we allow credit, including Zakiri, our flexible friend, and victories along the wrong bit of the coast with a man-of-the-match performance from a former saint, Priceless. That's our MasterCard. Well, Peter Marsh is unable to play his pivotal role in the BRP midfield uh, for this week's match review episode, but we do have strength and depth in this pod squad, as demonstrated by the assortment of Andes available to us, three to be uh, to be precise, in the form of Messrs Bass, Knott and Bravery. Not only that, but the team is enriched by a certain Mr Holberton as well. Gentlemen, welcome. Apologies for the intro. How are you all doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Hi, thanks. <laughs> very well, Russell. Good, good. And we've um, we've had some comical sound difficulties. That is, we, by we, I mean me. Um, so apologies for a late start to recording this, guys. I've been keeping you waiting. Um, they're, they're waiting with bated breath, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the magnificence of another win. 2-1 away at Southampton. Yes, we've won away from home again. Not at home, obviously. We wouldn't be doing that. And we scored two goals for the first time in, well, weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, so, what do we make of the game, guys? Who wants to go first? Looking like a Richard, I think. Is it? Oh, yeah. Let's go with Richard. What oh, well, you well, uh, I'll see how many cliches I can get in, get into my answer. I mean, I think you know <laughs> the, the most important thing was the win, right? Um, it's, it's getting towards the business end of the season, and I think um, you get to the point where the, the points are more, perfor- more more important than the performance. Although I think that. Under Potter, we don't we don't do ugly, fluky wins, and I think when we do win, they tend to be you know merited and, and well deserved. And I think I think yesterday's was a was a deserved win. Um, you know, no doubt we'll get into the detail, but I think along with probably lots of other Albion fans watching, I so I had that that familiar sinking feeling when they equalised and thought, ah, here we go. This the, the, here's the narrative. We've seen this multiple times before. We take the lead. We do reasonably well. Concede an equaliser and then fade in the second half. And 
lose or at best hang on for a draw. So um, I'm sure we're going to talk about the various changes and changes in formation and tactical or force changes, whatever they were. But the second half was, I thought, a very good performance, particularly. I mean, very well, very well managed. Um, I didn't don't recall a period when we were under sustained pressure. I think they had one one fairly obvious chance, which Sanchez saved well, um, but managed the game well. And, and you know, second goal I thought was was a fantastic goal, very well created, very well taken. So um, yeah, very pleasing. Particularly as I'd, I'd got a text from a Southampton supporting friend of mine just after they equalised. Um, Saying I'm I'm expecting Brighton's points dropped from a winning position stat to appear on the screen any time now, and um, <laughs> I was I was in the happy position of being able to quote that back to him uh, about an hour later, which was nice. <laughs> I do like it when that happens, um, Andy Bass. Um, what what do you think? And were you enjoying those sentiments? <laughs> Very much enjoying those sentiments, and. Um... Yeah, for I for me the the biggest win of the season so far, and I think um, any subsequent win that we have, if we do have any, will probably be equally as huge. But I think given that we've been on our longest lose, losing streak in the Premier League, um, a three game, think yeah, a three game run in which we clearly should have won two of them and should have got a point in another. Um, with the, all the sort of mental pressure that that puts puts on the team, it was an incredibly resilient performance. And for most of the second half, give or you know, bar sort of like a five minute spell around their their free kick and the Keystone Cops of the last ten last five minutes of like injury time, um, a very controlled and measured performance. We. You know, we, you know, we 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 managed to take the lead. Unfortunately, give the unfortunately, you know, concede it. But the way in which we we attacked it in the second half was was entirely commendable. I thought, I thought everybody came out of it pretty well. Um, by the end of the second half, Potter Potter's changes at, at half time were brilliant, and they all worked. And it actually, you know, quite a complex set of like moving people around the pitch, three or four players having to take on new roles. And for that, and for them all to pay off was was really good. The players not letting their heads drop and see and seeing it through. Couldn't be happier for them because they've been playing their playing their hearts out recently with no reward. And you you were just, you know, as a fan, I, I have to say I couldn't see where the next win was coming from. Um and to, to actually get it, it gives you that belief that we can maybe kick on and make the end of the season slightly more comfortable than it was otherwise looking. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly very much needed, wasn't it, Andy Kay? Um, you must have been pretty relieved as well. Although you've been very, you've been very relaxed about the predicament we were slipping into, weren't you? Um, nonetheless, you must have been relieved to have seen the seen the results. Well, I I don't think. Um yesterday actually changes too much fundamentally um we've still got to get to a a kind of points total um uh i just try not to um 
have the highs and lows that that many other Brighton fans do. Um, I mean, I really take Richard's point that there was that sinking feeling um, when their equaliser went in. Um, I don't think we were brilliant during the game. I I thought we were much better than in the second half. Um, In the first half, I got really quite frustrated and irritated, particularly by our midfield, with the honourable mm. exception of Lalana. I thought Lalana carried the entire midfield in 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 the first half. The seam was off colour. Gross really did annoy me towards the end of the first half, and not just because of his miss. Um, and um, he ought to take lessons from Trossard um, in terms of finishing and. It, um, Gross isn't the only culprit there. That's been a, um, a, a something that's been repeated throughout the season is when we're one-on-one on goalkeepers. The players just seem to hit it along the ground. They, they never seem to lift it. Uh, when goalkeepers do tend to spread their legs in the way that Forster did. In terms of the second half, um, yeah, I really take the point about the changes working. Um, uh, I thought it was a little bit of a masterstroke um, shift in Veltman over to the left of a back three to um, provide that experience um, to pass on to Zakiri. Um, uh, I, I agree with the goal was um, a lovely move. Um, and thereafter, I really didn't, I, I didn't feel too concerned they they didn't really have um any opportunities they um there was the the effort that was really well saved by sanchez um and i'd quite like to speak about why on earth once he'd had that really decent shot on goal it got pulled back um to uh, for a free kick for ward prowse to have another go but um I wasn't actually, despite Ward Prowse's brilliance from free kicks, I wasn't quite so concerned about that one simply because of the position of hmm. the ball, yeah. the wall. And so I, I never thought he'd get it over the wall, which is what he tends to be able to do. It, it, was, it was too close. Um, hmm. And the angle was uh, slightly towards the right-hand side of the goal rather than the left, which favours him. Um but we we just seem very well organised, very determined. Um, I I was quite nervous about Gross plan as right wing back. Um, you can see that it can play to certain of his qualities, particularly his long passing qualities. Um, but um, uh, his speed um, concerns me at times, uh, and I I really want to just flag up the brilliant performance by Lilana. Um, and th- there were some superb first-time touches by Welbeck that created most of our opportunities during that game. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I think I might close at that point. <laughs> I think very good points, well made. We'll, we will get into the specifics. There's about four or five key points of the game. We'll, we'll come to that in a moment. But just to bring it to um, Andy Bravery as well, lastly, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I am... Um, I felt that the one thing I was quite encouraged by and I was starting to feel a growing confidence with was the fact that we didn't dominate the first half as much as we have done in other games. So the narrative in that respect was changing. And I thought if there's any kind of a change, this could end up being good news for us. Um, we had maybe a bit more in the tank, 
to come out in the second half with, little knowing there'll be a substitute um, substitution to go with that at half time, which we'll also get on into in a minute. Um, but did you did you feel confident um, before and during this game? And I mean, because you, you've been talking about clean sheets being the key, keeping the clean sheets, then we don't have to worry about scoring two goals. Well, we didn't keep a clean sheet, but we did score two. Um, so, I mean, what, how do you feel about it all? Well, I think how confident I felt, Russell. Uh, uh, just after um, half time, it's one all. Um, my son, my son is only nine. He was getting quite anxious about the game, and it was Mother's Day. And for some reason, I was particularly um, nervous as well. So actually, um, we went out for a walk, and I didn't look at the second half score until I got back home and then put, saw the score and then put the TV on and enjoyed the game because that last five minutes where um, the ball flew around a little bit and it looked like they might get a penalty. I thought, oh, here we go again. Um, would have probably had me a bit worried. But you were right on the, there's that stat going around, isn't there? That most of our wins, well, most of our wins have come from away from home. And actually when we've not actually dominated possession. So we definitely had it on that on that front. Um, I felt, you know, I'm just, you know, luckily they're not as nervous and as um, they're a lot more resilient than I am. Because I did think that they, you know, that nowhere long in the last three games before that, could, you, could I anyway question their, um, their mentality and their, their will to win? Um, you know, and they've come back from three defeats, which is quite harsh in 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 many in many ways, to to win that game. But it does it does it was interesting with those changes because obviously no one at half time knew that it was about an injury, you know. And and there's been talk on Twitter today, you know, and yesterday. Oh, it was just a bit of you know, it, it, it was forced on him. It was a bit of luck. Um, and he probably wouldn't have changed it if he hadn't been injured. But when he had to change it, you know, the players he brought in and where he put them, I think it was a touch of genius, really. And getting Trossard into that centre position, because he had seemed a little bit out of it, out on the left. You know, all of a sudden, Valtman plays the ball into Lalana, and Lalana plays the ball forward. And then, you know, for the second game running, we've now got a shot around the penalty spot, you know, with both uh, both sides of the goal to, to shoot at. Um, and funny enough, on both of those occasions, we've scored. I thought, yeah, Lalana, you know, was back to being able to, I think, to organise things. He clearly is a, a talker on the pitch. I mean, and he's a joy if you're in defence because you give the ball to his feet anywhere. He's really got, he's often got two, three guys around him and somehow he manages to get it under control and get it out and get it get it moving forward again. I thought Welbeck looked looked good. He looked like he, um, you know, he was trying to bring other players players into it. Um, the one, though, that just recently has kind of flummoxed me a bit is the drop-in form of Basuma. I don't know what that's about, but he, he you know, he... It's not that he's not trying, but he's definitely not having the same impact. Whether he's thinking about, you know, that he's going to be playing for one of the top six next year or not, I don't know. But that's the one that's really kind of um, surprised me in recent games. So, yeah, so to answer your question, um, I was, it was all a bit too much for me. So I went out and went for a walk instead and used Mother's Day as an excuse. <laughs> but you're, you're going to have to now miss the second half of every Albion game, whether you're at the match or not now, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and back to Andy Bass. Um, what, what do you think? <laughs> uh, no, I agree with pretty much all of that. And um, I have to say that I did actually think Basuma probably had his best game of the last month. And I think, I mean, Andy was right to point out, Basuma's become not terrible, but even worse than that, anonymous in in games recently. And that has been a concern. And I think, I think, definitely a major contributor to our disquiet about the performance in the midfield in the first half because mm. he, he hasn't been the disruptive influence on 
on opposition attacks that, that he was earlier earlier in the season. And um, but I thought I thought in this game he, he did a, he did a few things for me in terms of keeping it ticking over. Nothing spectacular, and certainly from a you know from a you know from a low bar. But I, I thought I thought it was improvement. Um, and I, I hope that that continues in the uh, in the upcoming games because got some got some big ones coming up. Yeah, um, Richard. Yeah, I, I kind of echo all of that. I mean, I, particularly the points that others have made about Lalana. I mean, I think I think he's he improves people around him, and he improves therefore he improves the team as a whole. And as others have said, his ability to get the ball under pressure sometimes from more than one opponent and not only control it, but do something useful with it, move it on, keep the attack moving or at least retain the ball. Um, I thought he was sensational yesterday and he was pretty good in the previous game as well. So I think keeping him a fit and B performing at that level is going to be really important. The main thing I wanted to say was, was, was to give uh, Potter due praise for, for, for yesterday. Cause I thought that, he should be praised very highly for, for what happened yesterday um, for lots of reasons. I mean, you know, Byrne was injured, it turns out, half-time, so we may be making a, a virtue out of a necessity here. So he had to make some change. But I think that, you know, people ended up playing in positions we're not used to seeing them playing in. But that wasn't, I don't think, a completely wild punt or completely out of kilter with his philosophy. Because he likes the idea of people having the kind of generic technical skills to be able to play in different positions and to have that versatility. So, you know, although we don't expect to see Gross at right wing back again, possibly, it, it, it wasn't a complete spur at the moment. Geez, you know, we haven't got any other option. We have to give that a try type of thing. I think there was, there was forethought behind it and it's in keeping with, you know, that philosophy that people should be able to play in different positions on the pitch. We should be able to adjust, adjust, tactics and formations as needed even during a game so I think you should take a lot of credit for that um, and he's been criticised by some in the past for making substitutions either too late or that have had limited impact or both I thought you know they were he, were, he made bold moves early when there was you know enough time for them to have an impact and they did um, I like the fact that he bought brought proper on near the end and I thought our game management at the end was was really good so you've got experienced heads on the pitch like Lalana and proper and dunk you know and gross who are you know experienced and have enough tactical tactical nous about them that you can manage the game well in the last few minutes without undue alarms and I thought we did that very well he brought Modair on who looks comfortable um you know which shows a willingness to bring a young player on late in a fairly important game with a, a, you know a pretty small margin to protect um and I think what he said afterwards you know he said you can talk all you like about process and culture and learning but on the back of three defeats on about on the bounce professional sports people they you know they need the reward of a win now and again right I can believe in the process and the the learnings as much as you like. And I think they do, but you still need to win now and again. Um, so to, to, to be able to stop the rot, I think was really important. So he takes a lot of credit from that. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. On the, on the matter of substitutions, I think a couple of things I'd like to mention there. I mean, I agree with you about the game management and proper in particular coming on 
I can't remember if it was Liverpool or Spurs or maybe both. I can't remember. But he was he was um, responsible for some pretty good examples of um, personal man management um, within the team um, to see those results out. Um, and he's been missing, of course, in recent games. So maybe that's a telling sign, somebody with experience or just the right sort of nous to, to, to do that, which I think was good. In terms of the, the halftime substitution in this game, obviously we discovered it was related to an injury. There have been um, a lot of debates during the week in the run-up to the game about Karbovnik and whether he should be given a run in the team. And if so, which side should he play? Because he's described as potentially being two-footed. He seems to be more comfortable on his right, but has played a lot on the left side. And there was a furious debate going on on the Seagulls over London WhatsApp group, for example. Andy will know Andy Bravery. Um, and, you know, lots of opinions flying around. Richard, you would have seen that as well, I'm sure. Um, and in the end, he wasn't in the squad at all. So when it did come to that substitution at half time, um, although it's maybe not so much a stroke of genius out, out and out as a necessity move, the fact of the matter is we didn't have anyone else to cover that space in the squad. He was presumably choosing that or he was happy enough to know that Zakiri could fill in should that eventuality um, manifest itself, which, as it happened, it did. Um, and he proved to be OK, didn't he, Zakiri, in that position? Um, and the other point I was going to make was just on stats. I haven't looked into many stats, but somebody mentioned to me yesterday that um, I think our top six um, games in terms of possession and dominance of the, of the football have yielded no wins at all apparently this season um, and uh, which I think was uh, speaks volumes and also in this game I have, again I haven't verified this but apparently we had eight attempts on goal two of them were blocked which looked quite handy anyway and the other six were all on target I'm not sure if that's true or not I haven't looked yeah. but um, that's pretty amazing actually um, it's one extreme to the other isn't it <laughs> Um, still keep your XG up anyway. Um, I mean, what did you make of those points, um, Andy K? And anything to add um, on that? What? Um, uh, well, about subs I, or? yeah, I haven't. Uh, well, I won't really talk about subs. Um, I'll speak about game management. And one yeah. thing that really did please me in this game, which really hasn't in uh, certainly at least one other game, is. Um, we we saw what uh, Ward Prowse can do from set pieces, um, and we did actually limit the number of um, corners and free kicks that we gave around around the box. Um, I mean, there there was one wicked delivery in the first half that he put in that uh, I'm not entirely sure that we knew what we were doing with it. Um, um, but to go all the way back to the West Brom game. I, I was fuming at the way in which we just gave away so many corners um, in the first ten or fifteen minutes of the game, and it was it was kind of, kind of coming that goal of theirs, um, and that was for me one of the the better things that's happened. I mean, I I think um, the problems that we've had set with set pieces is the reason probably the the main reason why they took the plunge and put Sanchez in um, and replacing Ryan um, because Ryan's been an amazing servant but um, you can you can see the difference uh, and you can see the difference in confidence that he inspires in his defenders even given that um, against West Brom and obviously uh, against Leicester 
that he went on walkabout stroke, misjudged the flight of the ball. Um, I think last time I was on, I did say that he will make mistakes and we're going to have to live with them. Um, I, I think the number that he's been he's made um, has been pretty encouraging, actually. Um, it, he, he, he looks great. Um, yeah. Uh, and just in terms of the players, uh, what Richard was saying about um, getting the results, Potter as well. I'm just so pleased for them because what I didn't take uh, um, is that I didn't didn't think that we've been playing that badly um, with our three losses. Um, I mean, uh, people said that we played badly against West Brom. I mean, I, I, I really do dispute that. Beyond that irritating giving the ball away um, early on, uh, we played really, really well. I mean, our finishing just plummeted to um, newer depths that we hadn't even thought we could reach, but we did in that game. Yeah, and I think our pass completion in this game was 69%. So it's, you know, some of the stats can drop and who cares if, if we're going to win. Still looked a reasonably attractive proposition on the on the pitch. So it's not as if it's uh, at the detriment of all quality football play, is it? Um, I did a quick um, straw poll. I did um, I put out a Twitter poll um, mid-afternoon today. Got 60 responses, which isn't bad, actually, short time, um, for Man of the Match. And I put up four candidates. Lalana, of course, was one of them. And guess who won? <laughs> Lalana, 73% of the vote, um, which is pretty massive. Donkey got 10% for a solid performance and obviously a goal as well. And then 8% amongst the other two that I proffered, which was Welbeck and Trossard. Um, I mean, others like Veltman could could stake a claim of sorts as well. I think, first of all, I completely agree with the poll. I think Lalana was the outstanding man. Great to see him return to his old club and be man of the match. I must have stuck, stuck in the craw for them and been an extra delight for us. Um, but, I mean, he really did drive it, didn't he? Both in this game and the last game, his his performances. We're seeing the real Lalana now, the, the, the degree of flow and um and confidence and a bit of just um link up really with with his teammates there's certain things starting to connect up which i think is to our benefit and i'll come to andy braver in a second but just going to say um also in terms of um the, the goals i mean welbeck was involved in in fact lalana and welbeck in that combination were involved in both of our goals um so they they're the experienced old heads the ones that people have started to criticize being in the squad and saying, well, they haven't really done it for us. Um, but thankfully, they were involved in both these goals today. I hope it's not just going to be about them, but um, it was good to see anyway. Um, so, yeah, Andy Bravery, back to you, sir. Just, just to say, some of the stuff I've been reading lately about Lallana is how vocal he is on the pitch. And um, mm. and I think in that midfield, we've been missing that. I mean, he, he doesn't come over looks-wise as like that kind of midfield general, but I think that's the kind of role that he can play. And I think he can basically take other players on to, you know, to, to greater achievements, partly by just expecting more of them. I mean, I like the fact when he came off against Leicester because that he was talking about the father's second half, we, you know, we just didn't do it. We just weren't good enough. We didn't play as well as we could do, you know. And, um, and, and I think we do need a bit of that, a bit of honesty. But I think it's got to come from someone who's got the credibility to say it. And that's about that's why he's played at the highest level, because he drives himself on in that way. As long as it's done in the right in the right way, you know? I mean, just going back to the, what Andrew said about West Brom, I think for me, 
at the West Brom game, we didn't have a bad performance, but I thought first half we were off the pace and yet we still nearly get went in, went in 2-1, you know, and that, and that was really part of the frustration was that really. Um, and I felt, and I, I, th- I don't think we've, there's hardly been a game, there's been the odd half, but there hasn't been many games this season where I've thought, actually, we haven't turned up and we haven't played. And I think that's a real credit to, to the manager and the players, you know, yeah. just hoping that um, that carries on against Newcastle. Absolutely, yeah. And with the press conferences, actually, or not the press, sorry, the interviews after the game, I think um, it was quite telling, both the games, actually. Lana, you're right, he looked very, he looked down, but in a good way, if you know what I mean, after the um, the last game. You know, he really felt it, and you could t- see he really cared. And that as the week wore on, that was going to carry in in a positive way into into the team build for the next match. And Dunk, in, the, in this game, he was his face was absolutely alight, wasn't it? He just looked, he was beaming. Um, and I don't just mean smiling. His, his whole his whole countenance was was absolutely yeah. glowing after that result. So again, you, see, you can um, see how much they care. You see the picture sometimes of him and White we, up against him. White looks like some little twelve year old, you know, <laughs> beaming from here to here. We've won a match, boss. We won a match. You know, we won a match. You know. <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was fantastic stuff. Um, just to, follow, uh, to to reiterate, actually, that the team we started with was Sanchez in goal. We had Veltman, White, Duncan, Burn was the back line for anyone that didn't follow the game. Uh, Grosh, Lalana, and Basuma midfield, and Trossard. Depending on where you read it or where you see it, was playing either left or in the middle behind the front two, which I think was more likely. And then Welbeck and Morpay up front. And um, I thought Trossard the first half again was pretty disappointing. Actually, he gone he drifted back to. Sort of the, the Trossard we've seen in other games, and the key difference being in the second half he was able to improve, and also he missed the Trossbar, well the Trossbar when he tried to hit it later in the game, um, accidentally scoring instead, which is wonderful. Um, in terms of the goals, guys, um, just to run through it, I mean, the, obviously we we scored and then we retook the lead later. That first goal came. Um, as a result, I mentioned the um, the Lalana and Welbeck in the in the run up. Obviously, I'm talking about the the run up to the shot, which led to the corner. Um, it was a really good bit of play with Lalana, just holding the ball up, turning to the side, playing a disguised reverse pass in. Welbeck, one touch, having already checked, flicks it round straight into the path of Morpay, and Morpay took it quickly and with confidence straight away, which is when he's at his better. Had a pretty good shot actually on target, as we mentioned, all our shots were, and um, and was palmed away with necessity for a corner um, and from that corner a brilliant delivery if you look at it from behind the goal when they show the replay of it of Grosh taking that it's just a, such a beautiful sweeping movement that he plays it in and Dunk heads it um, I don't think the first one I saw it I thought the goalkeeper looked like he reacted a little bit late um, I don't think he was to blame actually and, and when I look back at the highlights BBC is suggesting that Byrne and um, I think it was Bednarak one of the two giants anyway um along with Byrne, was, was probably blocking his view um, all the way up to the sky. Um, but uh, So he was unable to react as quickly as he might have done. It's an awkward position low down to get to as well. So from an attacking point of view, brilliant, brilliant corner, brilliant first time bullet header of sorts um, down into the bottom corner. And I don't think Fraser Forster could be blamed for not getting to that, to be honest. Would you guys agree with that? And anything further to add to that first goal? Um Pretty much agree with that. Um, I did wonder whether the whether the goalkeeper was just a, a second or two late, but it was a really good header. And I, I mean, and Dunk has got a few now, and that was probably the best one. Um, hmm. He really, 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 really attacked the ball, and 
he was completely completely over the ball, just like everything about his position was right and the power was immense because that was a long way out. Yeah, it wasn't hmm. a six yard box one. That was that was like 16, 16 yards out. Terrific. And um and again it's great. I mean it's weird that apparently Dunk is now the top scoring centre half in the Premier League history or something. Bizarre. I think since oh, really? since we've been in the Premier League, he is the leading scoring centre half. I think yeah. I, I differ slightly on you two in terms of Forster. Um and I think uh, um those two efforts that you're talking about, Mope's shot, which I agree was was a good snapshot, um, but that was a nice height for him. Um, mm. Whereas um, Dunk's one was kind of low down, and I get I get the impression that that isn't his greatest strength. Um, I I I do agree that was a brilliant header by Dunk, but mm. I would have been pretty disappointed if um, if Sanchez would have let let that in um, because it. Uh, it, it was from some considerable distance. Hmm. And one one thing to mention, Brian Bertrand, um, I think Southampton will be pretty disappointed. It's interesting, he was actually involved in both goals um, on flip sides of each other um, at either end of the pitch. So first of all, he really didn't show much strength or enough of a quality challenge or enough of a meaningful challenge, I didn't think, from their point of view, to stop Dunk. So there's certainly a fault as there usually is, really, with any goals, there, there could be some blame attached. Um, but then at the other end, for the equaliser, um, you had Veltman didn't really challenge as much as he could have done when the ball came back in after the initial block, chipped back over. Bertram was the man that headed it um, back over towards the far side, which then, of course, led to Dunk getting caught in two miles. Well, he was on the stretch, really, wasn't he? And I, I think he was trying to either get angle or distance on it, could get neither. Um, to get it completely out and unfortunately it landed to the man who I did put a bet on scoring at any time because I knew he was going to score. He's in the vein of form now, three and three. Apparently his goals do all come in batches. So Che uh, Che Adams um, just hit it first time with one of those sort of slice off the edge of the foot shots that caught the goalie out near post. Um, So again, there's defensive blames for both goals, you can say, but well taken from Adams' point of view. Um, I don't know, Richard and... Andy Bravery, if you've got anything further to add to the Albion's first goal or to that uh, equaliser, any thoughts on that? No, I, uh, I mean on our first goal, I, I, I think you know when when Dunk has a run on the ball, it, Dunk against Bertrand in that position is is basically a mismatch. Um, and Dunk, Dunk as Andy, yeah, fair, Andy fair enough. Said, yeah. Um, you know his technique was perfect. He 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 committed to the header. The defender really wasn't a factor. It was a, it was a very good header. I mean, it was quite a long way out, so I give him a lot of credit for that. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. On their equaliser, yeah. I mean, I think um, two slightly disappointing defensive headers or attempts at defensive headers. I think you know, and probably Veltman was the more culpable of the two. I mean, Dunk was just slightly out of position and got caught under it, and as you said, couldn't get it couldn't get either angle or distance and ended up just sort of deflecting it towards Adams. So, um, yeah, slightly disappointing goal to concede, but as you say, a good finish. And Andy Bravery? All I'd say is that their, our, our first goal reminded me of their goal at the Amex earlier in the season because that was a header pretty much on the penalty spot. Yeah. The only difference was he put it, uh, their player put it top to the, to the top left-hand corner and we went bottom right, but 
Um, yeah, I guess I mean they're, they're tall guys, and if you give them a free header, then then you know you're gonna um, you're gonna be um, in trouble. Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, so yeah, and so it was. Um, but then uh, we got the winner later in the game. Um, well, actually, I think I, I think it was quite early in the second half, wasn't it? Fairly fairly early. I can't remember when it was actually. No? Fifty six minutes, I think it was. Fifty six minutes, that's it, yeah. Um so yeah, it was a good ball forward, wasn't it? Lalana, um, Wellbeck, um, really good first time pass into um into Trossard who was uh, who'd beaten the offside trap and um in we were and he just dumped it in. Uh, good finish. Um no signs of the confidence he may have been lacking from having missed so many chances, it feels like anyway, in recent weeks. Um as I said, no sign of the crossbar on this occasion. Um, boom, it goes in and we score. We get back in front. This is a, a change from what we've been used to. Are we feeling confident at this point that we're going to hold on to win? Um, and what did you think of the goal? Um, so, Andy Knotts, what did you think? Uh, well, I, I think everything's been said about the goal. It, it was another really good team goal. And we've had a few mm. of those this season. Um, uh, yeah, and it was... A comfortable finish. In terms of the goal that we conceded, I I, I agree that it was Veltman. Um, he really should have troubled Bertrand more, such that um, it wasn't mm. such an easy header. I I don't blame Dunk at all. He was he was stretching. He he did the best that he could. The the other person that um, uh, you might finger was that um, Welbeck lost his man. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think he was the one that was culpable of losing um, uh, uh, Amate for Leicester, wasn't he? When Sanchez... Yes. Um, so, yeah, actually, I think Alzate, in a way, initially was. I think Welbeck was the loose end who was just wide of him in that game. But uh, he, he certainly wasn't sharp on the uh, on the uptake. On that occasion. This has been our problem though, hasn't it? With attacking players have not quite done the job defensively. We've had more pay not quite getting to his man and then conceding a penalty, albeit after the final whistle in the Man U game. Um, we had um, more pay again, I think it was, uh, for the West Brom goal uh, recently. And um, I'm trying to think of us, it was somebody else of an attacking disposition, I think, lost a man for another game. So, yeah, that I think... I think that's a fair point that Welbeck has a bit of culpability for that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think, I think we deserve the win. I think um, it was a good game actually as well, quite entertaining. Um, but Richard, you've got another point to make on it. Go uh, on. Well, I was just yeah. going to come back to your point about, about Trossard. Um, one to, to, to praise him because I thought it was a, it was a fantastic finish. Not, well, not just the finish, but the first touch, I think he took two touches before he actually shot, but the first one in particular, because he received the ball coming from his right and he, he got it under control instantly with his first touch and kept it on the right-hand side of his body so that the defender couldn't get at it. Um, and a great finish. Um, and he's, he's um, you know, he's, he's capable of, of very good finishes and other contributions. He's a, he's a maddening player to watch sometimes because, <laughs> you know, he can drift in and out of games. And there was a couple of points on Sunday when the commentators criticised him for, I think he said, oh, that, was a, that was a nothing pass or he's better than that. You know, there were a couple of phases of play where in fairly promising positions, he took a poor, poor decision or, or gave the ball away. Um, but certainly in the second half, you know, 
not just a goal, but 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 generally, uh, his his contribution was was a lot better. Um, he looks as though he's been spending quite a lot of time in the gym to me, and I think, you know, one of the things that an area for improvement would be not just giving giving the ball away, but he also gets brushed off the ball a bit too easily sometimes. And I think <laughs> it looks as though he's been told that and has been working on his upper body strength, so it doesn't happen as often. But um, um, yeah, he's just. It, He's just one of those players. He's not a player that you're going to hear the commentator mention every 30 seconds. He's just not that type. It's, hmm. it's, it's you know, small, incisive contributions. And when he gets those right, he's a, he's, he could be a fantastic player. He just, I just find him very frustrating to watch because the levels can fluctuate so much, even in the course of a game or even a half. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would go along with that assessment about, about Trussard. Um I would say that probably I I would have wanted him of all our players in that situation. He's, he's probably well, Lilana is um, up there as well, but technically our most gifted player. Um, but I think he's been really quite poor over the last month or so. It's not so much that I, I wished he, he would have drifted into games, um, uh, which I hadn't really seen him doing. And um, although he's, I mean, and this is a feature of all of our players, really, the work rate is really, really impressive. Um, I haven't actually seen the kind of running stats of of our players, Um, but defensively, um, Trossard makes far too many fouls. Uh, he's, He's just not very good defensively. And he was very poor against Leicester on that front, I thought. He gave loads away. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if we can have Trossard and Alana and um, uh, Welbeck uh, come into form for the run-in, that would be absolutely great. Um, be n- nice if I mean I, I I think Mope played pretty well yesterday actually, um, although things aren't really coming off for him. Uh, and just looking ahead to Newcastle. Um, I, well, the really good thing about that result is they may well think because um, they've got an even tougher run in than we have that they need to go for the victory in that game, and that will help us because I'm I'm not convinced that will be be um, well it will be quite painful to watch us trying to break through their deep block. Uh, and then giving away lots and lots of set pieces around the penalty area um, for them, because that that's probably looks about the only way that they'll score at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, the other results went our way. Newcastle drew on the Friday, which meant that we could overtake by points, and we have a much better goal difference than Newcastle. Um, and I think with a game in hand still, haven't we? Um, I'm not sure about that. No, we haven't. No, we haven't got a game in hand. Yeah. But we we do still have one in hand over Fulham, who we are now three points ahead of. Uh, Fulham lost 3-0 to City, so there's a six-point swing on the goal difference to be overturned if they want to catch us on that. As I said, the three-point gap as well. Um, and we've got a game in hand. Uh, people are saying it's Sheffield United. Technically, it is the Newcastle game because they brought their game forward for that weekend. Uh, but they are, I think, playing Leeds at a weird time, also brought forward, which means that Sheffield United will become the game in hand later on down the line. Very confusing. I think that's right, anyway. Um Ultimately, though, yeah, we're three ahead with a bit of a better goal difference and a game in hand over Fulham. So if we can beat Newcastle and make this back-to-backs, obviously that will be sensationally good off the back of where we were before. 
um, as I think it was Andy not said earlier um, in the week or yesterday, um, you know, the fact that we've, we've beaten Southampton and negates the necessity to beat Newcastle. It's very much <laughs> what we all want to happen, just to really put some distance. But the fact that we've beaten Southampton does mean that it's not quite so disastrous if we don't now. If we'd have drawn both games, for example, I think we're really starting to get in the mire. Um, so we're a little bit ahead of the of the game in that regard now, which is good. Um, we're coming towards seven o'clock Monday when we're recording. Um, I know a number of you, it may actually be all of you, have to go. I'm not sure. It's a quick show of hands. Is anyone able to stay on for a second half? And Andy Bass maybe can. Okay, brilliant. The rest of you will have to go. Well, we'll, we'll break for half time in just a moment. But before we say goodbye then to Richard, to Andy Knott and to Andy Bravery, a quick word on one bit of football news before we um, before we break. Um, the news that Robert Sanchez has been called up to the Spain squad. Bobby Sanch. Um, it, obviously, this might be partly Spain trying to get in ahead just in case England decide to nab him as well. He's played... Um, well, he hasn't played at senior level yet for anybody. He's been called up to the Spain squad ahead of certain other notable others, um, which is pretty impressive going, including Roma's first choice goalie, I think, amongst others. Um, pretty good news overall, isn't it? As long as we're not going to suffer through anything quarantine related in the immediate future. Um, but ever, what, what, what do Richard, first of all, what do you make of that? Oh, it's a feather in his cap, and I think I think it's I think it's I think it's well deserved. Um, you know, <laughs> as a supporter of the club, you're you're always torn between saying that's great and it's you know all power to his elbow, and on the other hand, you don't you don't want him to get injured playing for Spain, right? Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I think I think he's I think he's been uh, very very good for the Albion. I think, as others have said, he's instilled confidence in his in his defence, and I think. Um, I think it's well deserved. So yeah, congratulations to him. And Andy Bravery, your views on him? Well, Happy, I mean, I, I, just, I just kind of wonder what he would have thought a year ago playing for Rochdale. So when I said to him, "Oh, next year you're going to be in the Spanish squad," and I, and I say fair play for Spain giving him a go because I don't think our manager in England would have been brave enough to even consider him. You know, yeah, well, they're, they're going to give him a go. You know. They've got the blind spot for Brighton, of course, anyway, haven't they? The England camp, um, as we know. Um, you, you could say that. Could... I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, he is a, he is a you know, Palace legend, as we know, the manager. So. <laughs> and um, Sanchez, his, his star really has risen on quite a trajectory, hasn't it, Andy Knott? Um, are you pleased to see it this early? Do you think it's good for him? Or does yeah, it come too soon? I, I, just, I just think it's indicative of... Um, the excitement around the club. I, I don't really follow the negativity. Um, uh, I, I hear it, but that's because we're in the throes of the season. It's getting down to squeaky bum time and, and um, generally um, people do get extremely nervous at the particular time. But to, to me, what Potter's done is, um, is great. Uh, he very fits very much fits in with the ideas that Bloom is trying to get across. And, you know, this is one of our um, development squad coming through, one of many coming through, one of many young players coming through. Um, It's extremely exciting. So I I was still and am still of the view that um, even if we get relegated, I'd like Potter to stay on because... He's transformed 
um, the first team and the whole kind of dynamic and the ethos of, of the club and the way in which we're viewed globally. Um, and mm. that's, this is another feather in, in the cap for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, we will break for half time. So at this point, we'll say thank you to Richard Holberton, to Andy Bravery and to Andy Knott for joining us for the review part of the pod. It's good to be able to uh, to have those cheesy grins back, isn't it, Richard? Um, yes, it <laughs> and, is. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> so thanks you all for joining us. Um, Andy Bass will stay on for part two with me. Well, we'll just go over some other bits of football news. But for Richard and the other two Andys, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back after this short break. So welcome back to part two of this latest episode of the BRP. This is the definitely the better half, just me and Andy Bass. <laughs> Stick, staying, you've got staying power, Andy. You're, you're on for the full 90 minutes like Adam yeah. Lallana. Good to see. And we have um, imbibed ourselves of some uh, alcohol for the second half to celebrate this rare win. I've gone for a Mikella uh, beer, which is pretty nice from m and nice, nice stuff. And I see you've um, indulged yourself as well. What have you got there? Uh, it's a uh, fine ales farm brewery and it's their sunrise bliss grapefruit session ipa oh lovely um from scotland from yeah. argyle very very Excellent. nice indeed yeah yeah this is this is going down a treat already i've got to say uh, i've been i've been missing the beers i've been staying off them not not for any particular reason but uh there we go well cheers and um we can't clink glasses of course but we'll do it metaphorically yeah there we go um, so yeah just before the break we were um talking about robert sanchez getting the call up i mean i think that's great news um all in all it's got to be a positive i'm quite impressed as i said that i'm sure there's an agenda to it with with um securing his services for the longer term perhaps but clocking him early on is still quite impressive um for him to have made that much of a mark at this early stage, which is good in terms of the Spain setup. Um, a couple of points really to mention on it. One is that Jack from our Seagulls Over London group, um, he, he put on a message saying, it really is an achievement when you look at who else has missed out. While uh, Kepper has hardly played since Mendy arrived, fair enough, Sanchez has also been picked ahead of um, Paul Lopez, who's AS Roma's first choice, and Alex Remiro, who's the Real Sociedad keeper, with more clean sheets than Courtois and um, Ter Stegen in La Liga. So, you know, it's a mark of how well he's doing. I know the Premier League is a, a kudos division as well, but it, it's that's pretty good going, isn't it, overall? Um, something to be proud of. Any further thoughts on, on the call-up? Absolutely delighted. Um, and you're right, it is something to be proud of. Um, Quite extraordinary when you when you think you know before Christmas he was fourth choice at the Albion, but clearly the staff had seen had seen something in him. And again, like credit to Potter um, and and the, you know Ben Roberts, you know what they've been doing. They they were decisive. Um, and, you know, as it transpired, you know, but they felt a bold decision needed to be made and they weren't afraid to make it. And, you know, that's what you get paid. That's what you get paid the uh, big bucks for. And it's paid off. And um, and Sanchez has not let anybody down, least of all himself. And 
his confidence in himself has been finally rewarded by this call-up, which is just terrific. I, I might even watch some international football now. If he yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, in terms of him going to Spain, not going to England, I mean, he is Spanish. Uh, we should say that he has been in England from a fairly quite an early age, though, as well, um, to, to explain the situation. Um, it's... Um, quite a similar thing actually to I've forgotten his name now there's a young lad at uh, Bayern Munich the latest um, super kid who has opted to play for Germany over England and he really was torn between the two he is German born and bred um, but he um, he came to England and he was in a setup over here but he's moved back to Germany he's playing for Bayern Munich which is a bit different to Sanchez's situation here where he's staying in England and seemingly for the foreseeable um in the case of the Bayern Munich lad he's he's he is German in essence um fully and and yet he was still in two minds but in, on, the, on the other flip side of that you almost feel I don't know if we should do but I feel slightly blasé from an England supporting point of view that we seem to have so much talent coming through at the moment it almost feels like oh well never mind we'll be all right <laughs> we've got so many good young players coming up are we being a bit too casual if we start thinking like that though um, I mean, I, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't really follow the England team with any great enthusiasm, as I, I really find their game a wise quite, move, quite quite dull. Um, <laughs> I will watch the Euros. Um, I watch the Euros in the summer because it's competitive football, and it will be interesting. And like you say, we do seem to have a lot of genuinely, you know, good young players. It's not the same old old guard problem we had um, you know, back in the sort of Gerard and Lampard days where people were just turning up, clocking in and not really doing a great deal. Um, I think there is there is a level of excitement about what the younger players can offer England at the moment that, that makes them more interesting. So, um, yeah, and, and we do seem to have a lot of goalkeepers. I, you know, I, I, I really like Nick Pope. I think he's a great goalkeeper. Yeah, I do. Pickford, yeah. actually, I think has had a much better season for Everton. I've seen him have some really good games for Everton this season, um, despite the fact that he his form seemed his star seemed to have waned somewhat. And I think Ramsdale yeah. United is doing all right as well. He gets a lot of work. Mm, indeed. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Pickford looked like he might have got an injury in the Everton game. I don't know if he. Um, if he was okay, and I think he carried on, didn't he? But I'm not sure. But who knows? A while to go before the Euros, of course. Anyway, the Euro 2020 tournament in 2021 coming yeah. up later in the summer. <laughs> um, final word for me on Sanchez. Just one other point. Um, Spain head coach Luis Enrique um, did say a little bit about him individually because it's his first call up. He said Robert has appeared in the Premier League, and we have gathered information about him from previous years as well. He is a young player with a great deal of potential, an interesting player. We are delighted to bring him into the squad and that he can show us his potential. So obviously the word potential is getting mentioned a lot there, which sort of leans towards the notion that he probably won't get much action, if any. I don't know how many games, whether it's two or more, they're playing in this international break. But um, I suppose with goalkeepers, um, particularly if there's any friendlies amongst them, I'm not sure if there is or not, um, he might get a little bit of action, but I'm suspecting it's more a case of just getting used to the setup at this stage. But uh, we'll see. Um one of the bit of Albion news as well, not so great, is Aaron Connolly managed to get himself in the sun, which, as we all know, if it's not on the sports um, end of that paper, if we can call it a paper, 
it's not usually good news, is it? Um, we won't go into the details, bit of an unsavoury scenario, possible breach of rules, something a little bit on the fruity side, shall we say, no more than that. Um, any comments on that one, Andy, before we move um, swiftly on? No, I, ha I haven't read the, the story itself. I sort of don't tend to involve myself with the the, the, the titles at all, but it does seem like the, the club are pretty annoyed with him and... Um, if he has broken the sort of club COVID rules, then, you know, to be honest, it's pretty irresponsible behaviour. And, yeah, you you you, you expect better of, of, mm. of your players. And, I, you know, we as fans expect better of our players. So um, I hope it all gets resolved quickly and Aaron can learn a lesson from it. Yeah, yeah, I think same here and no more to say on that other than I think he was out of the squad, wasn't he, at the weekend, which is um, probably not a surprise. I mean, that's a fair enough sanction. And hopefully, as you said, he can move on from there. Um, moving on to some other general footy news and, and feel free to dive in at any point here or, or after I've rounded this up. There's been a few bits on the general football front of note since we last recorded. First of all, uh, Sheffield United have parted company with Chris Wilder on Friday after a number of years. I think it's five years he's been there in charge. A Blades fan, and I think, I think he may have been a former player of theirs, certainly a fan anyway. He oversaw their long-awaited resurgence from League One to the Premier League, but also, unfortunately for him, their return to the Championship after a particularly disappointing season this year. Um, although it does appear to be a case of a falling out with the, with the owners, I think they're Saudi owners, over policy direction rather than the relegation itself. Um, because it had been expressed the view that he was going to stick stick around. Um, but clearly something's happened behind the scenes since then. Um, something to do with, I think, a possible director of football appointments and things like that um, seems to have done for him. Um, Portsmouth have decided that it was no jacket required, as the former Millwall and Wolves boss, Kenny uh, Jacket, was asked to get his coat. Sorry, I'll stop that now. <laughs> um, maybe I should also get my coat, in fact, after the, this pundulgence. Um, anyway, he had, um, by modern football standards, quite a long stint himself, like Wilder. Um, he was at Fratton Park in the hot seat there for about four years. Um, but that tenure had been under threat for some time due to the ongoing... Well, discontent among many Pompey fans, despite another season in the top half of the League One table, bless their cotton kit socks, and um, pushing again for promotion, they seemed unhappy with the style of play from what I'm reading and hearing, and also the clarity of the plan under Jacket. So it's not um, it's not completely a surprise. Um, it seems a bit harsh when the team's in the playoffs, but there we go. I mean, I'm, I'm reveling in the continued failure of the club. Um, supported by a sizable number of unpleasant gloaters, from my opinion, um, of a particularly disagreeable nature. Um, not all of them, of course, some nice guys out there as well, nice girls as well. But there are a lot of people I've rubbed my back up through the years, so I'm quite enjoying their demise at the moment. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you've got any views on those two dismissals, first of all, Andy. Any thoughts um, on that? As far as Chris, the, uh, the parting of the ways for Chris Wilder, I just cannot... For the life of me, understand it. Um, the way he engineered Sheffield United's rise to the Premier League. Yeah, because they were having trouble getting out of League and, One, and, weren't they? And, to the, start with. And, and the style with which it was done. Mm. I mean, absolutely superb. Last season was a revelation. 
this season clearly a season too far. They just don't have good enough players and people had figured it out how to play them. But if anyone was going to get them back up, it was going to be it was going to be him. I mean, and mm. and he's not a footballing dinosaur, Wilder. He's got the, the way he sets his team up. You know, it's quite you know he's quite intelligent and innovative in the way that he's willing to use players um, and to you know to make use of what he's got. Um, so you would you would imagine that the ideas did not stop there. So for me, he looks like a man that's well worth listening to. A man that's got the support of so the support of the fans, which is important mm. for a team that's you know going to get relegated. You know that the fan base will still be on board with the manager and with the team going into next season. Whereas I think a move like this, unless they really nail, unless they really have a clear idea of what of what their next appointment is going to be and and have a proper vision for it, could end up maybe losing losing some of the fans for for next season. Um, it just seems bizarre. I mean, it's no reflection on Chris that they're, that they're getting relegated. It's not a bad job by him. It's just the circumstances of the Premier League. I mean, sometimes you know you just cannot you cannot swim against the tide. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, as I said, they fortunate. they took quite a long time getting out of League One actually, and you know, having got out of there, he he got them pretty swiftly up into the prem and so you know the the level of improvement in status you know you would have thought they would have wanted to to allow him the time to to benefit from that consistency and and to be rewarded with more time but clearly it's a difference of opinion behind the scenes on a change it seems like there's a change of direction by the owners and what they're now looking to do compared with what they were going to do but changing that direction was always going to aggravate and probably lead to the departure of Chris Wilder because he, he he's quite an autonomous manager I think he's he works in certain ways as you said he's not a dinosaur he has got quite an Anglo-Saxon philosophy in terms of British grit in the team and that sort of thing you know his teams are predominantly quite home nations aren't they um, which is not a problem it's just um, I think it's a certain way he sets up and the mentality it fits that bill but not in the way of a Burnley or or the lesser versions of that. I think he's, there's a lot more creativity to the way they play. Um, but he's working, as you said, with limited tools. I think both their seasons in the Prem, one of them uh, was fantastically good and far outreached um, what, what people expected. The second one, partly due to a couple of key injuries, and losing, obviously, the Goldie Henderson, who had been on loan, uh, also in their promotion year. Um, but they also, I think, dropped to an extreme. They, they dropped below whether they, they would have expected to have been in either of those seasons, I think they would have been battling to avoid the drop in a natural position, given their resources. And in a sense, they didn't battle against the drop in either season, did they? <laughs> Without being rude, it's, uh, you know, they weren't anywhere near it one year and the, the other one, they, they couldn't get near the dividing line. Um, and I mean, the, the one good thing is for them, they've, they've got past Derby's mark. So Derby can sit and stew on their 11 points for another season, probably many more to come. <laughs> Um, one other bit of um, dismissal news to mention, um, but actually, first of all, to mention actually with with Wilder and Jacket both going after fairly long stints, Potter, of course, has been in charge at the Albion for two years. So this has uh, propelled him up the longest serving ranks. I, I forgot to check before we came on air, actually, so I don't know where he's up to now, but it must be 
an alarmingly high level on the list of 92, I would imagine, by now already. Um, and with the likes of Roy the Owl Hodgson probably going to move sooner rather than later, old Granny Bruce and also Mr Rabbit Hutch at Saints, all managers that could leave in the fairly near future for one reason or another. Um, Graham could go further and further up those charts quite soon, couldn't he, I suppose, notwithstanding any lower league managers that might drop so. off as well. Yeah, I think so. I think Hasenhutl will stay at Southampton. I think, mm. I, think they, I think. I mean, they, they are in a slump. And even though I still think they've got lots of very good players that they can still play, they, they have been hit mm. with injuries. I think, you know, really, I think the board could help him out a little bit. Um, as for sort of Bruce and Hodgson, I don't know. I think, yeah, Hodgson's done the job that he's been asked to do. Mm. But, but they're, 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 I mean, you would think that there's going to come a point where someone at, at that club will want to look at something different. Um, um, mm. But but he, he could, he'll leave with his head held high where, you know, he's annoyingly kept them up exceedingly comfortably. I mean, <laughs> I, I, what the, uh, well, I'm not, well, I mean, I mean, they won at the, they won at the weekend in just like, a, you know, grim advert for professional football. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, regardless of what happens to us, you know, our fate this season, spare me mm. that, spare me that. I just couldn't, I couldn't put up with that for a prolonged period of time. But- Someone mentioned on Soccer Saturday, um, they described the West Brom Newcastle game as as, as El Jurassicoast or something, <laughs> Jurassic, <laughs> which I thought was quite amusing. It seems like you could describe the same thing about um, West Brom's next game against Palace at the weekend. Um, I mean, one thing I'll say for Roy Hodgson, I mean, you know, he seems like a decent fellow. Um, I'm sure he's got his spiky side like any manager has to have. But there's two or three reasons why, if I was him, I'd probably, I'd probably want to retire at this point because he's got a, a, a major transition in squad coming up if he stays. He's he goes with his head held high if he leaves now. Um, he's gone one season further than when we could have said the same thing about him last year, and, and if anything, he's gone higher up in the esteem. He could he could go with his head held high and a really good record, and not have the um, the hassle of the major upheaval that will be involved in changing things around. He, he's a conservative manager. He's well organised. As you say, he gets the, seems to get the job done irritatingly well from a, an yeah. Albion point of view. But, you know, he it, it, it is limited. It's very rigid. It's effective enough to get away with, but it's rigid. It's a bit boring. He uses older players. It's all about experience and not much chopping and changing but not much dynamism, not much bringing through youth players. Um, I think um, Wan when he came through, apparently was it was only due to an injury that he got his chance. He would he may have still been in the reserves now, um, a little bit like Hewton in some sense, as you could say. So yeah, if I was him, I would quit. Um, to be honest with you, I secretly hope Palace keep him because I think things could come unstuck a bit more with the same manager and some changes of personnel. Who knows? Um, but, you know, Bruce, I think there's a lot of issues going on there. They're struggling. I think the one thing in his favour is I think Mike Ashley doesn't really care. He'll, he'll stick with him, particularly if he survives. The only issue is if is if they struggle. And we've, I've got friends in the northeast, and they've said 
the natives are not happy. They're getting very, very restless after the weekend's I, swings and results. Yeah, again, I think I think Bruce is on hiding to nothing. He, he again, he comes with that sort of dinosaur, dinosaur reputation, mm. but <clears throat> it's a basket case of a club in terms of in terms of like you know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, Ashley's literally can't give the club away at the moment much to his uh, chagrin he's been trying he's been yeah. trying to sell for for ages he wants out as much as the fans want out um yeah. want him out and it's not uh, going to be easier to sell is it if they go down either. and um you know it's again he, he doesn't have a, a he's not blessed with a lot of talent and sadly like his best players are injured so something sadly for him i mean not hopefully hmm. not for us but i mean i you know even with Newcastle having those injuries, I don't take it. I do not take any game for granted in this. There are no, there are no easy games for the Albion in, in this, in this, uh, in this division, this season. And to be honest, I think that the Newcastle game on Saturday will will be probably one of the toughest games that we'll, we'd, have, we'd have had all season. I think in both of in terms of the obduracy of the opposition and the and the mental weight that goes with with such an important fixture so um yeah i think uh, Andy... Newcastle down. They, they did well they they fought like hell to get that equalizer on friday night mm. the and the looks on the faces of the players suggested to me that the players that are turning up for newcastle haven't have not given up hope um mm. even if they've not that's been, true even if they've not been playing that well, but yeah, that there is still there is still some sort of a fire there. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, the, the goal Villa scored was pretty late on, wasn't it? So it's yeah. easy to have felt the blow and not, and not recovered from that. I think it was eighty-seven minutes, was it, when they scored, yeah. and then Newcastle equalised. And, and and Villa had a good chance. To, Villa had a good chance to score. <clears throat> had a good chance mm. to double their lead in injury time, and basically they did a Brighton. <laughs> May they continue oh, yeah. as yeah, often as possible. Lost, right? Literally, last kick of the game. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting because Andy Knott, who we had in our starting five in this podcast, um, I mean, he was saying how he's he's not getting too high or too low. You know, he, he's he's very much the football manager, keeping a calm edge type of um, persona. When in that regard, he's quite nonchalant with it, which is good. It allows you to stay. Uh, relax. I can't say I'm like that at all. I'm I'm completely buzzing at the moment because we've had one win off the back of a load of bad results, and I, I feel like I'm I'm looking ahead, thinking, yeah, well, we can't quite catch Arsenal now, but you know, it's kind of gone that way. But you know, it only takes, as you said, a flat down to earth on Saturday night with the Newcastle game, and we're right back in the mire. So we've got to we've got to keep our heads and we as much as we can. And as you said, they're still they're not doing well, but they are still fighting for their for their team, Newcastle, which is the same with Albion. It's the same with Fulham and it's the same with Burnley who are creeping away from trouble. The only other team, I think, um, or even if you, even if you mention Southampton, who are not exactly out of it now because of our results against them, even they're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with their attitude. They're all playing for the, for the team and they don't look demoralised. Um, if anything, the two that do are the, the teams that are already effectively down. But uh, anyway, moving on, 
A couple of other bits of news. One final bit of managerial news, in fact, um, a footnote to what we've already mentioned, is that Aitor Karanka, the man whose name scans also perfectly into 70s disco tune, Aino Corrida. I've always had that in my I don't know why. I can't get that out of my head whenever I hear his name. Anyway, he's departed Brum City, a few weeks shy of the Blues' own departure from the championship, probably. They may well have Sheffield Wednesday for company as Britain's most enormous mega club, outside of the Democratic Republic of Leeds, obviously, um, successfully completed their seventh straight defeat to keep their relegation dreams alive. It also gives Darren Moore an excellent shout at being able to receive, uh, well, an adoring round of applause from Doncaster Rovers fans next season in League One, if Donny's promotion plans follow his, following his departure end up in ruins. Um, Karanka, any views on him? I kind of... He irritated me a bit in the Middlesbrough era, but I think that was just, it was just the envy elements, actually. I, I didn't really have any particular problems with him, but he struggled at Birmingham, hasn't he? Everybody struggles at Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a great club to yeah. go and manage out. I think Lee Bowyer's going in. Um I think if I if I read correctly, uh oh, right. Right. given his experiences at Charlton might mm. be just yeah. and with the right level of experience to uh to right the ship there. Um Birmingham <laughs> is just a weird club. It's just like it should be doing better than it than it does. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, I have to say pretty much enjoyed my visits there as an Albion fan. We seem to, we seem to do quite well when we when we Yeah, visit, we do. And, and we visit it's, always for, um, it's always good for a curry and some beers as well. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, not, that. Not, it's hmm. not, not like it was in the in the 80s, um, visiting Birmingham City and a um, much more pleasant place to go and visit now. But No Zulus going around trying to beat people's heads into the ground then. <laughs> yeah, I thought... Yeah, I've seen some things up there. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it's a strange one. Well, one one team that won't have to um, won't have to suffer at Birmingham any longer is Coventry City, who have been sharing their ground. They've just um, agreed a deal to go back to the Rico Arena. I think they had a very brief return, didn't they, before after initially leaving, and now they're back again. They've been on loan to Northampton Town and um, and Birmingham City. In terms of home games, they're going back as of next season. Uh, obviously, a little less of this year to go. But from next season, they've agreed a 10-year deal to share with Wasps uh, rugby team. Um, whether it'll be a long, long-term thing or not, we'll wait to see. But uh, the fans are pretty happy. At least it gets them back in the city, which is always good, really, for any club, isn't it? Which is good to hear. Um, one other bit of news I picked up from the EFL this week. League Two Newport looking into the matter of comments made online after first-team boss Michael Flynn uh, was abused by a fan before their game at Morecambe at the weekend on the assumption that this wasn't a kind-hearted note of praise uh, for their dramatic drop-off in form that threatens to undermine their promotion campaign. I'm wondering if the said supporter is now feeling rather sheepish, and that's not supposed to be a cheap shot at doing Welsh gags, apologies, um, after their excellent 3-1 win away at on-form Morecambe. A pretty decent result, really, against the Shrimp side. Um, I doubt such people have a great deal of sense of decorum, though, so this individual is probably bragging 
uh, to his mates as we speak about how these no doubt highly articulate observations inspired Flynn and his charges to glorious victory. Um, Meantime, up in the Premier League, Man United did something they haven't done in nine years since a match with Liverpool in 2012. Any ideas what that is, Andy? No idea. Sorry, I haven't done a quiz for a while. It's only a, a one-off. I thought I'd throw one in randomly. First time um, they beat the champions. <laughs> um, they might. That might be true. I'm not sure. What What it is is um, they've completed a Premier League game without making a single substitution. First time in nine years, apparently, in the Premier League. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a quirk. Um, and um, I think uh, that's pretty much it. One or two other bits. Um, Peter James novels, do you read them? And have you caught the subsequent adapted TV series first episode on ITV? I have read the first. I have read um, Dead Simple, because um, I know like AD and Al are massive from the Albion Raw, and massive fans of it. Uh, my mum, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, my yeah, my mum used to read his books as well. Um, mm. So I did, I did, um, I did, I, yeah, I did watch it on uh, Sunday night. I thought it was all right. I liked, um, I liked John Sim as Roy Grace. Um, mm. Good choice, I think. Um, yeah, I just think John Sim can play anybody. I think. I just think he's a good actor, um, and mm-hmm. and he was all right. The, I just thought it, I just thought the whole thing was a little bit rushed. The book, I'm not I'm not a great fan of. I have to say, apologies to Adrian out here, but uh, I'm not a great fan of Peter's writing style. Mm. But I like the I liked the story of that, and I and I do think it was a little bit too slick. I think if they could have done two episodes which you would have actually got a bit more of the story. But, you know, it was fun to watch watch a show um, set in Brighton and uh, being able to recognise most of the places that were in it. And, uh, and, that, and that was good. It was very enjoyable. So, yes, I mean, I think from a dramatic standpoint, for me, slightly underwhelming hmm. in terms of the corners, the compromises you have to make when you're adapting a book into a two hour TV show. Um, but, but yeah, it was good. To, it was good to, uh, yeah, it was good to, good to watch. And, and I'm glad that, you know, the, the adaptations are taking place and I think subsequent ones will probably get better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I've read the first book. I'm actually finally getting around to reading the second book at the moment. So I, I agree with you with about his style a bit, actually. I do think it's quite straight down the line. There's, there's a few bits of quite, seem quite obvious um characterizations a little bit overwrought a bit um but i do i mean he's a best-selling author written into i think 37 languages so a hugely successful author um and it is good to see something set in brighton which you can really get your teeth into from that point of view they featured a a shot of them coming out the flower pot cafe in the lanes in the first episode that's one of the uh the things to look out for if you haven't seen it. it it was on on sunday night 8 till 10 p.m and um uh no doubt available on the itv hub and uh, apparently um which crashed apparently after the megan and harry interview the other day and <laughs> i'm sure they've recovered now from that one um but yeah it's um it's it's interesting it's worth a look i mean it's if you don't know the books i guess storyline just playing it 
blind, you probably can't enjoy it. My wife watched it with me. She doesn't know the books. Yeah, I think that's always the thing with like, oh, you've read the book. So because you you have your own idea of of, uh, of what it is. And then somebody else does obviously does something a little bit different. Um, so, yeah. yeah, you can't really yeah. com- you can't really compare. I mean, it's an adaptation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll pretty much watch anything with John Sim in it. Yeah, I, I like John Sim. I love him. It's great. Um, yeah, the only alarming thing was looking at an image of him from Life on Mars. He looks so much younger than I thought he did. Uh, oh, my God. Just, how many years ago was that now? That was a brilliant series. Absolutely love that. But John Sim apparently is, according to Peter James, I think it was on the Albion Raw, he said he's um, he's fallen in love with the city from having been down there filming there. And um, I think he's moved in, hasn't he? Oh, brilliant. Which, um, yeah, which is great. It's good. He's not the first, is he, to, to go down and stay down, Addy? <laughs> um, but he, I mean, also, it's quite convenient, isn't it? If, they, if it does turn into a successful series, it's going to be quite convenient if he's living in the area he's going to be working in quite a lot. So, I, I see no, I think, I think the books are well suited to these sort of primetime dramas. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. Ast- I'm astonished that they haven't happened already. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think it's good. The, the Guardian liked it. Bizarre, the Guardian liked it today. They gave it four out of five. Oh, nice. nice. So they're, good. They're, they're big fans. So um, that will help the recommissioning efforts. <laughs> for the, <laughs> the subsequent uh, books. Definitely. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good to watch. Good bit of, you know, good bit of Sunday night TV. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's classic Sunday, isn't it? That one. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, that pretty much rounds things up. Um, the only other thing to mention, actually, is um, Andy Naylor tweeted um, uh, an image of uh, a, what was a graph of who's done what in terms of the league table. Um, in, uh, sorry, in terms of who's done what compared with their um, their injury situation. Sorry, I'm not articulating this very well, which isn't great for podcast, is it? Um, but essentially what, what it was, it, it was suggesting that we have had misfortune through numbers of minutes lost um, compared with others this season. And the interesting element was that Newcastle also had struggled. Um, but the Fulham, who were down the bottom of the table, which meant they'd been the, one of the least impacted, um, uh, were actually, uh, you know, they, they, they'd benefited from not having had too much trouble. Um, in fact, Chelsea were bottom of the table then West Ham, then Tottenham, then Fulham. So these are teams who had less minutes lost to injuries. Um, top of the table, we won't mention because it doesn't suit our arguments, a certain team that we <laughs> shall remain nameless. Uh, Liverpool, very unsurprisingly, come in in second. Newcastle were third, then Leeds, and then Brighton. So we are the fifth most unlucky in terms of key minutes lost, um, total minutes uh, lost, in fact, um, coming in at a figure of 125 total games missed. Numbers of absences, and I presume this means in terms of players in games, is 32. So, you know, um, it's not really a surprise. We know it. But I do think certain commentators, particularly around the time of our game at Leicester, possibly would be well served with looking at these stats because they seem to think that uh, the Leicester game was all about Leicester having loads of injuries and we were at full strength. That's the way they seem to paint the picture, yeah, didn't they? And I, and I have to say, it's like the, 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 the three key injuries we have at the moment are three players that that you would expect to start. I mean, in March and Webster, I think yeah. absolute key players for us. And um, it's been no coincidence that our form has 
wobbled since they have both been absent um, and to to lose good playing, good good attacking play up top and to lose key defensive organisation at the back, it's going to hurt you. And then obviously Lamptey, I would say, has been missed less because Veltman's been so good. Veltman has been brilliant. He's a different style of player to, to Tariq who offers you more going forward, although I do think Veltman's forward contributions have actually been slightly underrated. I think he can cross the ball as well. But um, but three three big players for us have, have been out for, for long periods of time. And um, hmm. it, yeah, it, when, you're at, when you're at this end of the table, that does make life very difficult for you. Yeah. And, and the other thing, of course, is if Lamptey was available, for example... Velman could have dropped in and maybe had a more substantial effect in centre back. Yeah, allowing Lamptey to then play in the back in the role at right wing back. So yeah, there are those elements. Okay, that pretty much rounds up this episode, Andy. So um, thank you very much for joining me. One thing to quickly mention before we go, I don't know if you're aware about this yourself actually, but um, next weekend when we're playing Newcastle, which is of course Solly March Day, twentieth of March, twenty is his shirt number, of course. Um, there's an event going on. Um, Josh, who runs the Together podcast, who's a mate of mine, he lives in the States. He's been doing a sort of pretty much stats-based podcast for a couple of years now. Um, he's started an initiative, which quickly got the club on board, um, to do a fundraising event. So from 12 p.m. on Saturday this coming week, um, the 20th, through till, till midnight, um, there's a 12-hour charity live stream event to raise funds for AITC Albion in the community um, with, with the club fully endorsing it um, it's as I said taking place 12pm 12, 12 to 12am it's going to feature a number of guests that have been lined up either through the club or through the rest of us that are doing it the rest of us being a bunch of us podcasters, social media types and so on so Josh is involved, I'm involved there's people like um, uh, Albion Analytics Liam um, and people, various other points are, are getting into it. Uh, we've got guests coming in. Some exciting guests are going to pop in and out during the 12 hours, including Paul Barber. El Capitano, Bruno, is going to be making an appearance. Also, yeah, which, which should be great. I've um, not had the chance to speak to him. I think I'm going to be on for a little bit of that, that section of it. Um, Price of Football's Kira Maguire, Albion's own. Um, Andy Naylor, of course, long-time Albion um, football journalist, um, AITC beneficiaries will be involved. We've got one or two other extra special guests hopefully lined up, one of whom may or may not have appeared on a recent podcast uh, in this neck of the woods, um, which which is yet to be confirmed. But there's, there's a few others lined up as well, possibly some other ex-players, lots of stuff going on. There's going to be a watch-along type thing going on during the game, which, of course, is at 8 p.m. in the evening. Now being at home to Newcastle. And there is also a... Uh, sort of a vague equivalent of a phone-in afterwards where fans might get the chance to just come on and join in on the live stream via Zoom to air their views on the magnificent 4-0 win over Newcastle that we <laughs> no doubt would have, that would have recently <laughs> acquired. So. <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's really good. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. check some of that out. Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, it's going to be um, accessible through Twitch. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but if you haven't, you can easily find it. It's very accessible. It's just on, on the internet. You go to twitch.tv, in this case, adding forward slash together BHA. So twitch.tv forward slash 
Together BHA. Um, that's how you find it. The stream will be running the whole way through. Josh is essentially running it. Um, so he'll be letting people in and out to all the guests that are lined up. I'll be popping in and out throughout the day, um, along with the other boys that are involved. And um, it's looking like it could be a good event. And um, there is a Just Giving page. I don't have that to add, actually, but I'll leave that on the episode notes for this edition of the podcast. And I'll be tweeting similar during the week as well. So look out for that, all listeners. If you can contribute, please do. Even if you can't and you just want to listen in, watch in, you'll be able to uh, to see my face for radio and various others um, along the way. In the meantime, um, thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to get in touch with the show, it's the usual contacts, brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com for emails and for Twitter, it's at brightonrockpod. So once again, Andy Bass, thank you very much for joining me, sir. Hope you've enjoyed this. Yeah, I have indeed. My pleasure. Marvellous. And I'm going to sign out in the usual way. If you wanted to join in with the second half of this, you're welcome to do so. So I'm going to say stand or fall. Up the Albion. Yes. (laughs) Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.